0: Back to a new week and a new episode of People Are Wild, the podcast that answers all of your medical asks, whether you like it or not. Now, my name is Kim, and I'm your friendly neighborhood ER travel nurse of a host, bringing you stories and subjects straight from the ER into your earholes. Now, I've been working more fast and furiously than Vin Diesel as of late. We're not a crew, we're a family. Those movies fascinate me in terms of their success, I just gotta say. But that being said, I've watched every single one of them numerous times. And no, not at work. Well, maybe a little bit at work. Anyways, I've watched all of them numerous times, and I just gotta say that they're just really good movies to lose your mind to and just have something on in the background that is decidingly ridiculous. How are you going to save the world by driving your cars really fast. I don't know. But it's something that you just watch, you put it on in the background, and then you find yourself in the middle of a movie marathon. And they're making, I think, a ninth one now. So apparently there is still more plot to be told in the Fast and Furious family. Now, fun fact, Gal Gadot, the current Wonder Woman, started off as Giselle in the Fast and the Furious. And I think I read somewhere that they killed off her character because she had gotten the role of Wonder Woman. And anyways, that's one of those weird tangents that I always take when you listen to People Are Wild. And in the spirit of having a little bit of a hustle on the side like Gal Gadot, I also have been doing my own little bit of a hustle in working late on projects uh, as well as doing a lot more overtime in the good old ER out here in New Hampshire. And it's kind of like that thing where you're enthusiastic signing up for overtime shifts in the moment, but when the actual shift comes up, you instantly think it's the worst thing you've ever decided to do in your life and that you've made a huge mistake. For some reason, overtime shifts are sometimes more brutal and complex than regular shifts. Thanks for coming in to help out. Get ready for the shit to hit the fan. But luckily, as in my previous few assignments, they have got a great crew out here in the ER, so shout out to my New Hampshire work family who embraces my intensely weird but positive vibes into their ER. Full Moon Fever has nothing on this crew. Now again, I ask that you just continue to bear with me during my work schedule and during my summer schedule in terms of cranking out shorter episodes that are still medically relevant, but fun-sized in terms of maybe how long they are. You're welcome, question mark. Now, when I'm not working in the ER or going on outdoor adventures like I did last week, my happy place has usually been with camping, reading, or watching horrible reality TV shows. And by horrible, I mean delightful and a gift to us all. But real quick, I did go on an incredible trip this past weekend, shout out again going out to the folks over at the Outbound Collective for putting on the Pursuit series in New York. The best way to describe it is to think of it as an adult adventure summer camp that is full of booze, bikes, and good times, but maybe not all those together. No kiddos will judge you for eating shit on a mountain bike is what you learn. Part of it does require that you go camping at this beautiful site in the Hunter Mountain in the Catskills is where we were with about a hundred or so other people, a hundred or so of our closest new friends, give or take maybe two to 400. Anyways, super great. I learned a little bit about rappelling and this time it was with using ropes and not my personality around guys I just met. Anyways, overall, good vibes, great people. I highly recommend you check it out if you're even slightly curious about the great outdoors or outdoors activities. This will ease you in, and if you are really enthusiastic about the outdoors already, you get to do new things and learn new skills, like riding a one-wheel. Look it up, it's so awesome. It's like summer snowboarding, just I can't sing praises about it enough go and look at the Pursuit series. There's one that's coming up in August in California, as well as more coming up next year. But I will say this. Camping is one of my favorite things, but I know that during this series, there were a lot of first-time campers. And some people are weird at campgrounds, I've realized, because they pitched a tent and then had sex in it with numerous other tents in close proximity that could hear all of their activities. Now to me, that takes a lot of confidence and a lot of guts. I wear earplugs, so I missed out on all of this, but my neighbors were treated to an after party after listening to music around a campfire. Something about the great outdoors does rev up some people, I totally get that, but to the point of actually doing the deed, I don't know, that's not really my jam. See, I was covered in bug bites, scratches, and sunscreen. None of that, which seems alluring to me, much less somebody else. Also, I woke up early enough one day to hear a full-on argument occurring between a couple in their tent. Also, they were highly intoxicated, and they did that thing that happens when you try and whisper when you're drunk, but end up just speaking even more loudly because you're trying to whisper. So I heard them airing their grievances. Anyways, both of those experiences were, well, that, an experience, and I'll leave it at that. You know what else is an experience? That new atrocious show on ABC called The Proposal. It's, I don't even know if I would recommend it. It's awful. But also in the same vein, Big Brother has officially started. So like I alluded to last week, I am all kinds of excited, all kinds of ecstatic, and it's another reason why this week is one of the best weeks ever. I mean, it is also July 4th week, and if you know anything about me, you know that 88%, really more like 99%, of my wardrobe is comprised of red, white, and blue, stars and stripes. It is my passion to be patriotic, It's a delightful color scheme, it goes well together, and it complements so many different things. So in the interest of this week being July 4th, and the fact that I am based out of the United States, I have lit my Katy Perry prayer candle, which is both hot and cold and smells like a teenage dream, and I've listened to Martina McBride's Independence Day on a loop repeat for an hour, so I am more than ready, if you are ready, to talk about how people are wild. Now cue up the John Philip Sousa, fire up the grill in hopes of beating Joey Chestnut's record of 72 hot dogs, and put the American flag on every surface. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it is almost the 4th of July in the United States, so you may be feeling a lot of strong impulses, like the one to set off a bunch of explosives in your own backyard. Go forth, but don't send yourself to the hospital. I don't want to see you there that wouldn't be a good way to celebrate Independence Day. Watching Independence Day with a baby-faced Will Smith is a great way to celebrate the holiday, as is watching Joey Chestnut excel in hot dog eating, a stark contrast to him and his friend-slash-competitor Eater X not excelling so much on The Amazing Race. Oh yes, you know I watch The Amazing Race religiously and I've already seen that the next season is supposed to include Survivor and Big Brother alums, so needless to say, I am doing everything within my own power to avoid spoilers on that one. Now back to the glorious fourth and real quick, happy belated Canada Day on July 1st to our neighbors to the north who can only put up with us for so long before they call the authorities and especially on Independence Day, right, eh? Now doing your own little fireworks show is a lot of fun. Seriously, I remember doing that a little bit when I was younger, and it's a very American and appropriate desire to, well, wanna blow up everything in sight on July 4th. But don't blow yourself up while you're at it. Contrary to all belief, it's actually not the American way to have burning flesh and partially amputated bits and pieces complement the holiday. And stick to the legal explosives. The fireworks you can freely buy depending on where you are now the american pyrotechnics association how do i get a job there somebody let me know provides a good resource on what laws are in each state if you need to look it up there are a couple of things you should probably look into before getting started because fireworks regulations differ depending where you are first find out when and where your state sells fireworks For example, in New Jersey, recreational fireworks are banned completely. In Vermont, you can only light off the littlest fireworks, like sparklers. And down in Texas, the state where I personally have blown the most stuff up, but most of those are toilets, and the blowing up that just happens to be due to my colon wrecking them. But there, in Texas, you can only buy fireworks for the two weeks leading up to the 4th of July and the last 10 days of the year. From there you can set them off pretty much wherever, provided you're outside city limits and there isn't a burn ban in the area that you're in. Now that brings me to where you can set these fireworks off because there are rules about that as well. For example, if you're anywhere in California or basically the whole entire Southwest, especially the desert Southwest, you probably shouldn't set off fireworks at all or even think about setting them off, what with all the Mad Max level drought going on in that region. Now in Texas, it's always been a bit of a crapshoot year to year as to whether or not you'll be able to go pyro crazy on the 4th, but more often than not, it's too dry. You don't hear this much about these kind of warnings these days, but if you're unsure, please check the local newspapers as they'll usually have information on these kinds of things. Bottom line though, if someone official tells you not to set off fireworks, listen, there's probably a good reason. Like, they don't want you to, I don't know, start a wildfire? And if that doesn't faze you, consider that you could end up fined for doing something illegal, or worse, putting people in danger. So be a good citizen, especially on the 4th of July, in pyrotechnics as in everything else. Now, if you're lucky enough to be celebrating America's birthday in a state where recreational fireworks are legal well, maybe I should backtrack, you can set off at least some fireworks in every state except New Jersey, Massachusetts, and Delaware, then congratulations, on to the fun. Fire is fun. The fireworks you can buy, Class C fireworks, which are better known as consumer fireworks, are your smokers, sparklers, rockets, artillery shells, black cats, and things that fall mm, somewhere within those categories. The kinds of fireworks you most commonly see are firecrackers, which are also known as black cats. These come in big bricks or packages of little tubes of gunpowder tied together on a single fuse. I'm sure you've seen them before. You can separate them to spread out the fun or light them off all at once if you're feeling particularly annoying. And a friend of mine actually told me that when he was younger, his brother purposely set off a black cat in his hand. He survived, his hand survived, and his brother was for some reason not punished because justice does not exist, apparently. But I would not recommend setting one off in your own hand. Instead, light it and toss it far, far away from you. Trust me, these suckers explode in a matter of seconds. Now, if this is your first foray into this realm, the easiest and probably least threatening entry point are the ground displays. Now, these are the kind of mini fire shows that stay on the ground after you light them, emitting sparks and big fountains of colorful light and gunpowder. Once again, the idea here is to light the thing and run away, unless you have a thing for getting sparked in the face. Then you do you, boo. The same policy applies to aerials, the other major basic fireworks category. Naturally, this entails anything that shoots up in the sky and that you want to run away from. Like artillery shells, bottle rockets, rocket rockets, etc. Now while it's okay to do the ground shows in your backyard or on your driveway, provided you're following the rules, you need to have more room to do the aerials. Don't even bother buying them unless you're going to be spending your holiday somewhere where you have access to a field or an open body of water, because the shell has to land somewhere. Say you're at the lake with a bunch of piers or docks around, You'll still have to be careful, because if that shell lands on the cover of a fiberglass boat, that thing will go up in flames in an instant. Also, keep in mind that you're expecting your private show to look like the display your town puts on every year. And if you're doing that, you might be a bit delusional. If you're looking for an arsenal-packed display, go watch the professionals put on the show. Remember that there's no test run at the fireworks stand, so you buy what you buy and hope for the best. It's actually even more fun to not know what kind of explosives you're going to get when you light them. If you have questions, ask whoever's working there to give you a rundown of the different types of aerials, black cats, sparklers, and ground displays. That way, you'll have a general sense of what things stay on the ground and what launch into the air, at least. You should probably make note of what kinds need to be stuck in the ground and shot off from a bottle. Like an empty wine bottle or a beer bottle will work, and it'll probably be readily available. And which kinds you can simply just hold in your hand, because you'll need your hands later. Now, if you're totally clueless and daunted by the idea of buying fireworks, I'd recommend opting for a little starter package that includes all kinds of different fireworks, from sparklers to artillery shells to those little tanks that have the fuse on the back and move on the ground for like six six inches or so before exploding. If you don't buy one of those, it's also a good idea to go out into the transaction having somewhat of a budget because it's easy to get out of control and to go overboard. Trust me on that. Fire fire is intoxicating. All of this is to say, though, have fun and be safe and run away after you light the fuse. Don't be an idiot. After all, Noah Johns can tell you a little bit about what happens when you don't heed fireworks warnings. Now, when people ask Noah Johns about the bandage covered nub where his right hand used to be, he often tells a story that goes something like this. While Noah was visiting an uncle in Florida... Why is it always Florida? And I say this as an Arizona girl born and bred, but Florida, bless your heart, you're a mess. Anyways, Noah was brutally attacked by a shark that bit off his right hand, and Noah punched the shark in the nose with his other hand and pulled an eyeball from the shark's face to stop the attack. But because he needed his remaining hand to swim away, he was forced to drop the eyeball into the ocean, and so he lost proof of the daring encounter, besides, you know, his missing hand. I mean, it's an entertaining tale, but the only true part is he has an uncle in Florida. This is what really happened. Because even for a glass half full young philosopher and those who know Noah, he turned into a cautionary tale against taking fireworks cues from YouTube. On July 4th, not too long ago, Noah and his family were celebrating the holiday as they usually did with a big family gathering at his grandmother's home that included wiffle ball, cooking out, and fireworks after dark. The staple of any town USA, on the 4th. Now, Noah had learned how to make sparkler bombs from YouTube videos the year before. The process basically consists of gathering a large number of sparklers, trimming them down to the gunpowder tops, and then wrapping them together with black duct and electrical tape. A lone, untrimmed sparkler sticking out of the top of the bomb acts as a fuse. Now, last year, the bomb made noise, but was otherwise nothing special, said Noah and his parents, Roger and Gina. Now, Noah was the youngest of the couple's six kids, and he was a rambunctious type, so he decided to try it out again the following year. Now it was at this point in my research that I started watching that episode of King of the Hill where Bobby ends up buying that firework called La Bomba, and at the end of the episode over the credits it does nothing when the fuse reaches its end point. So it might as well be called Avatar for being extremely long winded without an epic ending, or maybe if it was happening in California you can call it La La Land for the same reason. Because both of those films are extremely overrated, don't at me, you know I'm right. Anyways, for Noah, on July 3rd of that year, the bomb he made wouldn't light. But at about 9.30 the next night in his grandmother's yard, it did. So Noah would go on to say, have you ever lit up a sparkler? Because it goes off pretty fast. The young man lit the fuse of the bomb, quickly cocked his arm high and back to throw. And that's when his right hand exploded. I remember long ago when I told you that if things got kind of gruesome or graphic, I would give you a warning, something I would call the cut, as in you can cut this part out and skip a bit and you'll be fine, doesn't take away from the story. Well, I'm bringing it back for this bit right here, because it's going to get kind of gnarly for the next few seconds or so. See, for Noah, when his right hand exploded, shrapnel flew into his face and pieces of fire landed on his back, his arm, his leg. His arm was actually flopping around as both bones in his forearm were broken and sticking through the skin. And his hand, well, it was gone. Little parts of it were scattered in the yard. People came running, and someone picked up what was left of his hand and put it on ice, while someone else wrapped a tourniquet around his arm. Noah would recall that he lit it up, and he looked at his hand and just started yelling. Because he could still feel his hand. And as he laid down in the yard waiting for an ambulance that seemed to take forever, all he could really recall was that there was a big cloud of smoke and that after that, he saw his mother as he emerged from this cloud of smoke, holding his arm, not realizing quite what had happened. So Noah was rushed to the hospital. And this is what happened after the explosion. He woke up two days later in an ICU at Riley's Children's Hospital in Indianapolis. And since then, he has undergone three surgeries. The scars on his back and leg are nice and screaming red, and his nub and other parts of his skin were raw and still healing at the time that I had found this article. He's taking a medication to help calm the raw nerve endings that still relay that he has a hand, and leave him with excruciating pain at times. He's been undergoing counseling and occupational and physical therapy, and he'll need probably at least one more surgery on his arm, and possibly surgery on a ruptured eardrum. At the time, Noah was a freshman, and when this happened, the school decided to make accommodations for his missing right hand, such as providing an extra set of books for home so that he didn't have to carry them, or letting him change classes a few minutes earlier to avoid jostling his arm, and giving him copies of written lessons so that he didn't have to write as much. And most of all, for Noah, he's still building strength in his left hand and practicing as much as he can with the basketball team. Unluckily for him, he's right-handed, and his handwriting with his non-dominant hand is still coming at a slow pace, but it's improving. His dad actually jokes about it. Even with his other hand, he didn't write very well, he would say. But there have been some serious moments. When her son first woke up at Riley, Gina, his mother, said his first worry was how he would be able to play catch with his future kids. But for the most part, Noah is choosing to see the positives, too. After all, he's the glass-half-full philosopher. See, he's shown friends photos of himself in his hospital bed, as teenagers do in this day and age, and of his unhealed parts when the bandages are off during a dressing change. He can make jokes about the hand that isn't there and invent wild stories about how it went missing. He's also counting on a little bit of the advances in science to help him with a prosthetic hand once his nub is healed. Gina has been researching special attachments to allow for playing basketball and other sports for her rambunctious youngest son. And I have to mention this as well. The family doesn't quite know yet the total cost about what this will end up being or what insurance will cover. I mean, the Riley Hospital bill alone was over $128,000 and family of friends have rallied around them to offer to help and support them. Fundraisers that sold special t-shirts that said Noah Strong on the front and hashtag Noah Nubbin on the back have been a hit in the community. And a GoFundMe page has helped with offsetting some of the financial burden that exploded into the family, along with Noah's right hand. Now, speaking of exploding things, none of them ever wants to be around fireworks again, at least according to the family. In fact, discussing the accident with curious people sometimes leads to Noah's least favorite question. One day while shopping, they encountered a former city fire chief who asked first what had happened to his hand and then quickly followed up with, well, son, have you learned your lesson? Noah turned to him, and this is when Noah kind of earned a little bit of my respect. He said to him, yeah, I've learned my lesson. And... Then he started thinking to himself, how dumb of a question is that? As if he'd do it all over again, as if others he knows would want to follow his lead. But all in all, the teenager does realize that he's lucky. He knows that he cheated fate. He didn't die, he wasn't blinded, and while his hearing is impaired, he didn't lose it. Noah would say that I only lost a hand, when I could have lost so much more. Now, Noah Johns is a kid who learned his lesson in one of the hardest, most painful ways possible. And this brings up some of the facts about firework-related injuries. It's estimated that at least 10,000 people can be treated yearly for firework-related injuries in the U.S. and the ER. And about 300 of those injuries are due to illegal and homemade fireworks, It should go without saying that unless you're a pyrotechnic professional, you shouldn't be handling big old fireworks displays. I mean, even the pros get it wrong. Just look at what happened a few years ago in Australia on New Year's Eve. They timed the display wrong and all the fireworks went off at once. In less than 30 seconds, this fireworks display that was supposed to go on for half an hour was all done. It was fine. We're good. Peace out. Now, I'm hoping no one got fired that day for the firework fail, and I also want some kudos for that alliteration I just pulled right off the top of my head. But let's go back to the facts. Most of the injured body parts from fireworks related accidents are as follows 8% occur on the arms, 9% to the eyes, 12% to the torso region, 18% to the legs, 28% to the head, face, and ears, 33% to to the hands and fingers, with more than 69% of fireworks-related accidents resulting in burn injuries. It's entirely too clear that it's painful and too real how life-altering a fireworks accident can be. Now, sparklers alone accounted for more than 28% of ER visits from fireworks accidents. I mean, sparklers can get up to 1,200 degrees Fahrenheit, and in some cases, almost 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And then you're talking about the level at which some forms of metal can boil. For reference, water boils at 212 degrees Fahrenheit, cakes bake at 350, wood burns at 575, and glass melts at 900. So if you're at least 1,200 degrees Fahrenheit and kiddos are playing around with sparklers, it's a bad news bear situation, and it could be easy to see why sparklers can cause eye injuries such as corneal abrasions and burns by igniting clothing by accident. Now, only 6% of fireworks injuries were caused by public displays, which were talked about a little bit before. So again, professionals keep everything on lock. Shockingly, males accounted for 74% of the injuries seen in the ER. More than 35% of people hurt by fireworks were under the age of 15. Again, is anyone actually really shocked that teenage boys are getting the brunt of ER visits because of fireworks? Boys and their homemade toys. So in the interest in making sure everyone is safe for the 4th of July and going forward into the summer, here are some safety tips for using fireworks. Fireworks. Never allow young kiddos to ignite fireworks. Avoid buying fireworks that are packaged in brown paper. This can often be a sign that fireworks were made for more professional displays and that they could pose a danger to consumers. Always have a sober adult supervised firework activities. The tendency for alcohol and fireworks to be paired together like PB&J is a bit of a curious event. So make sure if someone is watching for fireworks safety... Damn it! have that person be sober. Never place any part of your body directly over a firework device when lighting the fuse, and back up to a safe distance immediately after lighting that fuse. Never try to relight or pick up fireworks that have not ignited fully. Never point or throw fireworks at another person, so no Roman candle battles, please, boys. Keep a bucket of water or a garden hose handy in case of fire or other mishaps, Light fireworks one at a time, then move back quickly. Never carry fireworks in a pocket or shoot them off in a metal or glass containers. We talked a little bit about how fast fiberglass can light on fire. After fireworks complete their burning, douse the spent device with plenty of water from a bucket or hose before discarding it to prevent a trash fire, aka a dumpster fire, aka my love life in two words. Wear some eye protection in form of safety glasses. And have a designated shooter for the fireworks and make sure that they read the caution label before igniting said fireworks now it should be a no-brainer but people don't heed this tip a lot fireworks should only be used outdoors don't try to light things up in the bedroom for a patriotic hookup you might end up lighting up your bedroom in a completely different way or lighting up your groin Not saying it happened, but it might have happened to a patient who was inspired by the season and the holiday and booze to try and make things more memorable in the bedroom. Needless to say, they succeeded in that, but probably not in the original way intended. Happy 4th of July, indeed. And again, make sure fireworks are legal in your area before buying or using them. Lots of people cross state lines to try and pick it up on the way home to do something great for their family, and they end up paying for it in more ways than one. So let me try and round out this patriotic-themed July 4th episode with a few cautionary tales about why it's so important to be safe around fireworks and not go ahead and make your own. In Iowa in 2004, a 52-year-old man was making fireworks in the living room, as you do between episodes of Family Feud, I guess. As he was dabbling with some chemicals to make what he thought would be a kick-ass firework, an explosion occurred. Walter White, he was not. The danger? Eh, maybe he was a little. The explosion was believed to have been sparked by a metal spoon used to mix the gunpowder, sulfur, and phosphorus in a metal can. The man unfortunately died from his injuries, and Hazmat had to be called in in order to conduct decontamination and debris removal at his home. In New York in 2001, a report of a loud explosion and white smoke brought the local police department, fire department, hazmat team to a rural area south of a mobile home park. The explosion caused the release of ammonium nitrate, potassium nitrate, and other unidentified chemicals that were being used by the homeowner to manufacture fireworks on his property a project I'm sure not encouraged on the DIY network. The man was lucky, though, as no injuries were reported, but the owner was ordered to conduct soil sampling and remediate all areas of contaminated soil. In Utah in 2002, a 43-year-old man was making fireworks using ammonium nitrate and acid when an explosion occurred in his home. The man lost several fingers as a result, but survived. Also, though, 45 residents of the area had to be evacuated for about six hours while local police and fire, along with county health and state environmental protection officials, responded to ensure scene safety. And finally, in Washington state, a 27-year-old man and 15-year-old died when chemicals used to make illegal fireworks exploded and fire destroyed their mobile home. So as cool as that display on YouTube might have been, or as gung-ho as you might be about that Pinterest board you made on homemade fireworks, please leave it to the professional pyrotechnical teams to pull off an impressive display this holiday. So happy 4th of July, everyone. Believe in the good, drink responsibly, stay safe, and come back from your festivities with all your extremities intact. Hey Meg, are you terrified when you see a large group of people dressed in the exact same outfit? Usually. Al, are you strangely intrigued by the idea of wearing linen to appease alien overlords? Mm Mm-hmm. Do you find yourself sucked in by documentaries about cults from the 70s? Absolutely! Do you like your podcasts with wild but educated speculation? If you've answered yes to any of these questions, check out Can We Cult? Hosted by me, Allie. And me, Megan. We're two cheap wine aficionados slash best friends living in Portland, Oregon. Sure, we have some formal training and we do work in social services but we got our real knowledge about cults from documentaries books reddit threads and again wild speculation every thursday a new episode full of scary sad and hilarious stories with a whole lot of heart is released you can check us out on apple podcast soundcloud stitcher and overcast as well as on all social media platforms at can we Cult? join, join us won't, won't you, you? Hey, hey, hey everybody, my name's Lisa. And my name is Matt. And we are the hosts of Eye for an Eye podcast. And we are trying to determine whether or not the punishment fits the crime. Wasn't Eye for an Eye Matt? Does the punishment make sense? Was it too lenient, too harsh, too rough, not enough? We're not sure, but we're about to figure it out. And do you think that we have the opportunity to determine now what happened after the fact? Who knows? Take a listen to our podcast, Eye for Eye Podcast. We'd love to hear from you.